Hello and welcome to Don't Talk About It. I'm your host, Dean D, and today I have my good friend Angie, and we are talking about gaslighting. This one is called Take Your Foot Off the Gas. Angie, you're a labor advocate. How are you today? And thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm doing uh, really well, and um, I appreciate I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you calling in. I know a lot of times on these podcasts, especially with COVID and restrictions, we're not able to. Um, see each other in person. So I appreciate you calling in and, um, and you know, looking forward to the conversation. I know you and I were talking the other day about um, some of our experiences and how our personal experiences come into play with things that we've seen, things we've experienced ourselves. I know we're not, you know, mental health professionals, but we do see the impact and we feel the impact and um, and one of the things I would say is this kind of spoon feeding that it, it's good for you, you know, and uh, wanted to kind of touch base around that and share a, a personal story. Um, so Angie, I know you have a few things you wanted to touch base on today. Um, why don't you take us off with our, our first avenue? Go ahead. Okay, well, so the the topic of gaslighting is specific to um, um, our work, you know, employers. Um, uh, obviously, you can be gaslit by anybody, but um, I wanted to kind of talk about it and frame it around, frame it around, you know, um, employers and work. So, okay. oh, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm. It's okay. First, okay. first on the show is always a little interesting, so no worries. Yeah. We're framing this okay. in, talking about work and um, some of our experiences with work, and um, like I'll I'll share something with you um, that was a personal experience of mine to kind of start us off is um, I realized that when I started as what you would call like a frontline employee in a business and you have that hierarchical scale that, you know, there's managers and then mid-level managers and then upper management and then VPs and CEOs and directors and you have this hierarchical scale of people from a more powerful or higher-up position, technically you're supposed to see more and know more in those higher-up positions. Um, But what I've realized is there's a huge disconnect. And the people at the top don't really understand what's happening at the front line, but yet they're telling them, um, this is totally possible. I don't know why you can't accomplish this. We've ran the numbers, and everything makes sense. But the biggest factor that is missing is reality doesn't touch base into those spreadsheet numbers. I know we look at those spreadsheets and we say this is how it should be, but in reality, it's not that way. And We don't account for human error and accountability 
you know, somebody who's only supposed to take 15 minutes um, for an appointment goes into a half hour. And then that builds, it almost reminds me a little bit of like a, like a deck. When you're building a deck, if you're off by a quarter of an inch on one end, you're going to be off by, you know, six inches by the time you get to the other side of the deck. And I just feel like there's this, like, disconnect from the top down. And so you're being told that these things are simple and easy and they should just work. And they don't. And then that drives our stress up. Right. Yeah, and one of the things to consider... Uh, around that is that um, if you want more productive employees, um, the, the you need to make them happy because there's science behind product, productivity and happy employees. Like there was research done that if you have um, happy employees, if you're taking good care of your employees, the productivity quite accidentally goes up at least 13%. Right, and that's with little to no effort. So if we have this hierarchy uh, system that says that their numbers are what is supposed to occur, and that pressure comes down on the employee's head, they're actually working against their own best interests by producing stress for their employees. Saying, why can't you do this? Why if everything, you know, everything is fine on paper. You guys are failing. If they lifted their employees up, they would quite accidentally have more productivity. And productivity is an interesting thing. Like, we, right now, productivity kept up with minimum wage. Minimum wage would be hugging $21 an hour. So we're already a very productive workforce. But just to by making your employees happy, you get more productivity, more productivity. And so um, it seems like that that's one of the things that are missing in today's you know world when it comes to when it comes to treating your people well, you have to understand by treating your people well, you have a better outcome. Yeah, that and. Let's frame there for for a second on this topic of happy employees, and yeah. because you're you're right, I mean environment. That is why I left my job um, in June of last year is because the environment was um, mm-hmm. a stress. Because even something as simple as you're talking about happy employees. Happy employees, what I've observed when I was a a manager or a director with with a team is people come to work to feel like their time contributes to something. Their time has a bigger purpose. Their time is important. And what that really settles around is being valued. And not feeling like just a number. So, you know, as we, as we're talking here about happy employees and everything right now is so budget focused, especially when COVID hit, it's like everything went to the numbers and it's like, well, if you're just focusing on the numbers, doesn't that make total sense why the employees feel like just a number? 
Because that's right. putting your focus. Yes. So, so yeah. experience, I'm sure you've got a, a experience of Angie. What, um, to piggyback on this. Yeah, well, I just... Uh, I just, uh, I mean, I can totally, I can totally relate when they, you know, the hierarchy is not meeting its goal and the pressure, the excess and the pressure of negativity in general falling on the shoulders of all of, you know, all of the underdogs, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's just, honest, honest to goodness, it's, it's. They are working against themselves in whatever environment that, that the job is. They're working against themselves when they put that pressure on, you know, the, the workers, the, the, the laborers. Um, because literally, there is science behind a happy workforce, a well-cared-for workforce, and greater measurable outcomes. Yeah. It's an exist. Yeah, I mean, employee intention, retention is one of the biggest issues I hear everywhere. And um, as, you know, you're talking about instilling, we're talking about instilling value and understanding and um, having a, a, a sense of belonging or like, like you actually matter, like you're just not going to be replaced. And there's a couple things that I saw, but one of the things I always saw is, a manager would always be quick to tell somebody what they're doing wrong, but I never mm-hmm. met somebody who took the time to ask where the holdup was, what the struggle was, and most importantly, how could they support. Oh. And it's yeah. like giving people the proper tools to succeed, and then we're yelling at them for failing when we set them up for failure to begin with. That's right. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting, and I I I would advocate for an entire like retraining for you know um, all all bosses, managers, leaders. Like, not everybody is is the same way. But I remember when I started working for the county. I turned twenty one, and I. I quit my job to go work for the county. And my job that I quit paid a hell of a lot more money. But I decided, even though this job that I'm about to quit mm-hmm. pays more money, the county has purpose. I can touch my community inside of this job. I can make an impact and a difference inside of this job. It's not going to pay. It took me like 10 years for working for the county to just to get back up to where I left off when I quit my job. But the operative word is purpose. Need as a workforce has to feel valued and that we contribute. The only reason I existed inside of the county is specifically because of that. I could have gotten, you know, stayed where I was at and made way more money and all of that jazz, but I thought, I thought, I really not just want to make an impact for my community and really want to help, but I, 
honestly, I want my kids to be proud of me. So I, I quit my job. I was recruited to the county. I started working for the county. And the whole time was richer on welfare. But I had purpose. Yeah. Angie, that, I mean, seriously, it, it really does. I mean, it's a big motivator for us because, you know, I always hear, well, you know, if we pay them more, if we pay them more. Um, I had not lost any employees. Everybody I hired stayed with, stayed with me. Um, that's not true. I actually had one person who um, went and volunteered um, to become a CASA advocate. Um, I was one of the very first kids in the Valley to have a CASA. I was oh. in the pilot program. I love CASA. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible program about, you know, advocating for kids. Um, that oh, my we, gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible program. And But but I guess what I when I asked, every time I went for an evaluation, I never, no matter how much I fought to upper management, to HR, I never got validation for why my employees deserve more. And I kept telling them, like, they need to be paid more. This is the market. This is what we're paying them. This is their education. There's no reason why we should be, you know, um, somebody at the front desk should make more than, our, you know, somebody in health and fitness. Um, right, when right. That- like the livelihood of, you know, because as ADLs drop, um, activities of daily living and seniors, then that causes more issues. So it's like, isn't right? It would stop it at the start, but that's not my point. So my point is, is every year, year after year after year after year, for over a decade, I was never able to give my employees the raise that they deserved. But it was not at all the money that made them stay. They always said that they stayed because they loved the environment of the department. They and, saved kids like me. Yeah, purpose. Yeah, and you gotta have purpose. And um, you know, so I would I asked a couple, and I had some in-depth conversations uh, with some of my employees after I departed, and we talked about some personal things and. One of the things they shared is they is this sense of purpose. They always felt like they were showing up for a call, and they weren't just a number. Where if they stayed home and they go to work, it didn't matter. Somebody else they could just fill it with a temp agency, and right. so them going to work was a need, and not because. They needed to pay their bills. I mean, obviously, that's the reason why we all go to work or we'd all be retired at, you know, 21. But, you know, but the thing of it is, is they get up and they're going somewhere because they have purpose. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, waking up and sitting there watching Netflix all day versus waking up and taking your kids to the lake. You always wake up way more excited to take your kids to the lake or, let's say, grandkids. Amen. Then you do to Amen. Netflix. You've got to have purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so, and another, on another part of that, the purpose is for 
to have an understanding that there is no such thing as little work. Every little piece of work is so important to some cause. Even if it's data entry, the end result is that you, your, your work is producing, uh, is producing something important, something vital and valid, something that's necessary. So there's no such thing as little work. So then we have to separate when, where do we find the purpose? Where do we find the purpose if there's no such thing as little work? And that, I think, is when gaslighting in the workforce really comes into play. The reason why, the reason why it's, the reason why it's kind of amusing is because it, it backfires. You have a hierarchy of people who are putting all this stress on actual laborers who, I, mean, I shouldn't say actual laborers, there's no such thing as little work. So even, even the CEO in the boardroom who's having meetings is, is, is important. But, but when that CEO in the boardroom, when his Excel spreadsheet doesn't match what he requires out of his personnel, and that stress comes off of his shoulder and trickles down to all of the laborers. So then it's like, we have even data, huh? So you're talking about leading by example, right? I, yeah, I want to clarify. Exactly. I'm yeah. picking up where keep going, Angie. You got this. Oh no, I don't. I I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it just works against them. It works against. Them. So you think that there are effective employers who do believe that you have to have, you know, a firm and sturdy hand with your employees, and that is not according to, you know, according to like, uh, according to the results of like uh, the Social Market Foundation. They did a study and shown that if you have a, a happy, healthy workforce you have a more productive workforce that kind of the kind of stress that trickles down it actually works against you so those people up at the top they need to learn not just how to do the job of the people at the bottom so they have a better understanding and idea of really what's happening so that they can get ideas to make that particular job work with the flow sheet or the Excel chart or whatever. They need to roll up their sleeves, get dirty and involved, do the work, and that's one of the only ways they can have an understanding as to why that particular job does not match up to their flow sheet or Excel chart or whatever. Yeah, part of that is 100% always going to be you are not you are not producing a, a serene work environment. Always that's gonna be a factor. It's always gonna be a factor. Yeah. And you're you're right. It it's a kinda of like a it sounds like a lack of perspective and understanding it sounds like this attitude of what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. So you need to get this done for me instead of us working together as a team. 
to exactly. and yeah, and they feel really good. There's a lot of employers that feel very good to have that kind of power control filling the blank, but it feeds them. I had an employer once. Oh my gosh, I thought I would die because she was more interested in what I wore to work than at the threat of harm of a guy, the threat of harm of a gentleman who produced the gun in the lobby. You know what I mean? The priorities were all whacked, and, and she was very stern on things that didn't matter, really. And, um, yeah, yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's science behind a stressful work environment and bad health outcomes. So there's people who have been so so stressed out, and this is like not new. We all know this. Mm-hmm. Like you can have a heart attack on the job. You know that's what we've been living in. We've had 40 years of absolute stagnation with an increased productivity rate. And zero reasons. And just that, without all the other factors, without all the other stressors, without anything else, just that alone puts a lot of weight on the shoulders of 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 the workforce, of the American workforce. So we 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 have outperformed. We have we you know deserve like at a minimum we deserve livability. At a minimum, we deserve livability. And that kind of stuff hasn't happened for us because we stagnated. In fact, emerging generations have a lower standard of living now because we stagnated and we went into reverse. And so not only have we stagnated, not only have we not been able to acquire livability, which when we go to work, we're not selling our skills as much as we're selling our children's mothers. We're selling our bodies. We're selling for $12 an hour. We're selling, you know, our wife's husband. We're selling our time, our yeah. literal life selling. And what is that worth, right? And so what is that worth in a system where the hierarchy doesn't produce stable, happy, healthy work environment. It's just a one thing on top of another, it seems. Yeah, and 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 you are so spot on in my opinion and our you know, our conversation of our own experiences and what we've seen. And one of the things I can I can tell you from what you're pertaining or what you're speaking to is I have this story and what it was is there was a manager who um, was overseeing a sniff and they were like a corporate manager. So they only stopped in every once in a while. And Mm -hmm. what saw is that there, they had a bunch of issues in um, employee um, like 
801s or, you know, uh, getting hurt on the job, like workman's comp, you're talking about stress, right? And pushing ourselves further. So there was this company, and we know frontline staff with caregivers, healthcare workers, nurses. I mean, they're all being hit extra hard, especially with COVID. And, um, but anyway, so at this sniff, they were investigating why they had so many accidents there. And, uh, you know, their CEO stopped by and said, oh, you know, you need to work on this. This is your responsibility. And put all that pressure on them. When really, as a leader, doesn't that final answer end and start with that CEO? And so, right? And so what happens is this manager at this sniff was telling me, that what ended up happening is the numbers got better for the CEO. They started having less workman's comp reports. And that last word is the most important one. They started having less reports. They didn't have less yeah. They had less reports. So how did they, where how did they the, do that? Yeah. Yeah. So basically employees have this, fear coming down that they get their workman's comp under control. And what happened is a bunch of the frontline employees stopped reporting to their managers that they were getting hurt on the job. So the numbers looked better, but nothing actually changed. And in fact, the employees said that they felt more stressed because they were constantly worried about being hurt on the job and then not being able to feel comfortable to report it. That's right. There's some there's some laws against that. I'm not certain a hostile work environment or you're you're not supposed to intimidate your employees, but it happens all the time. Like even at the county, you know, we are led by people who are anti masters. So we have like one one commissioner actually held a reopening rally, which was very amusing because she had a lot of pro-life people with signs uh, showing pictures of, you know, you you know. Yeah. Uh, and so this was kind of like a pro-life rally, a pro-life rally for anti-masters. And I, and I, I let her know you can't be pro-life and anti-mask. It's not about, it's not, it's about protecting other people's lives. Wearing a mask is about protecting other people's lives. So how, so it just was a heck of a contradiction. But we're in this, this county where there's, you know, anti-maskers and that trickles down into the workforce. So we had to fight tooth and nail. there will be a mandate for masks sooner, I would guess, but they don't, like, we had we had people testing positive for COVID out of the airport, and they still did not mandate masks. Like, one commissioner, Dyer, he, he got a petition going with over 10,000 signatures to reopen youth sports. So this is the ideology of our county. And so how the county is being run, they are—they uh, care about the health and safety of their employees, 
or or they don't. They care- anti-mask means that they. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it sounds very similar to what I've experienced in other areas of the healthcare environment, which is I care about my patient's health at the risk of the employees. Right. So it's like you don't you don't. You know, so it's like, oh, we're looking out for the safety of our residents, but it's at our employees' expense. Right. So and it's, it's so in the same the hypocrisy, so to say. Yes. Of, yeah, of like, oh, we really care about this. But then when you <laughs> up and you say, as an employee, like, I'm concerned about this, you get told, I don't know why you're so scared. And... Right, exactly. That is perfect gaslighting right there. Because right? It's like you just gave this whole message. You're crazy. You're yeah. crazy. It's you. Yeah. yeah. You just gave this whole message about how safety is your number one concern, and then I come to you with something that I see as unsafe, and you're telling me it's perfectly fine. I mean, or my yeah. favorite one is the mandating on all the masks for frontline workers and how, like, you need to be in a face shield, and this is so important. But yet a director will sit in their office all day with their mask off and then put it on when somebody comes in the room. And it's like, you've already contaminated the office by breathing in it all day. Like, Yeah, seriously. It hangs out right? in the air for hours. Yes, it's like we should all, if it's a priority... Everybody needs to wear a mask all the way down. And if you can't wear a mask while you're on campus, then you should be not coming to campus. You should be staying out. Come on, yeah. Exactly. The same for the, the people who uh, are mandating to go shopping without a mask. Listen, order your supplies online. Pick it up. Yeah. And, and I know, like, you know, this is our opinion and it's, you know, based on, you know, our perspective. Um, but it's like for it's that like saying that it's important, but it's not important. And like that direct saying gets put on employees. And like I know this is really simple, but um, I, I mean a really a scaled down analogy. But this is one that was cracking me up is um, when you talk about when we talk about gaslighting right away about you know misinformation and. Um, hypocrisy, what applies to the top doesn't apply to the bottom, right? Um, but it was because the employees for so long at this company that I worked at really wanted Gene Day, and we and the and we fought hard and we talked about it, and sure enough, it happened. Gene Day happened every Friday. <laughs> Dean Day happened. And then all of a sudden we got a new CEO and new CEO, you know, walks in and, and we were talking and they're like, Gene Day is going away. I hate jeans. They're unprofessional. I don't want to see anybody in jeans. If you're yeah. in I'm going to send you home. So there's one person. You're giving me flashbacks. Yeah, right. So there's one person's opinion for hundreds of employees. And, and so they say, and so we got told in upper management that Gene Day was just going away. So then it comes out in a memo, and it's like, hey, everybody, guess what? Gene Day is getting a facelift. We're going to turn Gene Day every week into theme day once a month, and then theme day never happened. So, like, 
First of all, theme day is not better than gene day. And second of all, I would have way more respect for you if you would have said to all the other employees, and that's what I did with my team. I walked back to the office, and I said, gene day isn't happening anymore. And they said, why? And I said, you know, I said, there's one person in the company who hates it, and they have the power to shut it all down. So none of us get a word. That is so crazy. It's not. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not significant. It does, it, what he did to his company was counterproductive because yes. he wanted to have happy employees. Right? And, like, and, and here's the, here's the thing. Right? And it's, like, it's a feeling. And I feel like we have removed the feeling that you get from work. And we have, have turned work into this environment that you go to for a means to an end. But then you're told that, like, you should do the job that you weren't trained to do or that, you know, you're, you have a voice and, or my favorite one, we have an open door policy, but my door is always closed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love that one. So, I mean, Angela, so it's like we're constantly being fed these avenues for outlets like you know i saw this one in in our with our caregivers and we were not training our caregivers basically we were showing they were showing up to work and we were having them go through like some online stuff for half a day and then they got thrown into it and all of a sudden we had all these resident falls and we had all these issues and it's like well, you guys need to work harder. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you were to train them from the start about their job. I am wondering, I'm wondering if that's just normal across every occupation. Because they do that with the county too. You just get, you get thrown in, the training is minimal, you just got to hit the ground running. And I've heard that everywhere. I wonder I wonder if it's that's just the norm in corporate America. You just throw people in without training and then expect more of them than you expect from yourself. And then we wonder why they failed and we have like 124% turnover. Exactly. And, it, and, here's and it's my, all your fault. It's all your fault. Right. It's all the so, fault of all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is what we're talking about here. I've had this conversation with, almost every one of my friends at some point where they're feeling that like if they left work today, nobody would. And like, they don't feel valued. They don't feel important. And uh, I think we just. And they don't feel valid. They don't feel validated. They don't feel valued. They don't feel. uh, They feel lost. They don't feel. Yes. And they're. This is happening during 40 years of stagnation. Imagine the weight. I, I mean, our generation, I hope that we're remembered. I hope that we're remembered for carrying this heavy, heavy load because it's a heavy load. Yeah. You know, it's not just your typical, you know, bosses gaslight you. It's like a combination, a perfect storm of events that led us to trying to be held hostage to like, 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 I mean, if they say no gene day, you know, that's it. That's it. That gives me flashbacks too, because like the boss that I was talking about, he was horrible. 
Mm-hmm. She hated the way I dressed. Now, remember, working for the county, I was richer on welfare. Yeah. I could not afford nice things. And when I would come to work in the morning, she would look me from my toes to my stomach, my chest, head, up and down and up and down. And she would, she would, how do you say, she would grunt because she was disgusted. Uh because that was her value. That was her. That was where her values lied. Was in appearances. But I mean, I didn't wear jeans. But I also couldn't afford. You know, I worked for the county. So that gave me some flashbacks for the whole jean day thing. I'm like, oh my gosh. She actually got a policy passed in the county specific to attire because she hated the way I dressed. Oh my God. That does not give you more productivity. That does not give you more better outcomes and results. That kind of management system, it's got to die for our children's sake. It's got to. Yeah. I mean, I heard you're, you're so spot on. I mean, honestly, like, it almost reminds me, in, in my opinion, um, it, you know, it reminds me of kind of like what we just saw with like what happened to our nation when you had a dictator run the, you know, that was only interested in themselves. And it's like, we, we saw what happened nationally. And, um, you know, from a flip standpoint on this, like, isn't this just a smaller version, like with corporations instead of a nation, it's a corporation, but it's, yeah. it's a very similar dynamic. It's one person who has way too much power and has these little things that are irritants um, or they're focused on, you know, very something specific and you lose so much communication. And so people are just showing up to work and being told what to do instead of showing up to work and knowing what they're supposed to do, having a, a tool to get out of a situation um, instead yep. like setting somebody up to fail, like, even example, like we just, I, I just started working with somebody recently and for the first time they had to go on their own on the weekend. And so, you know what I did? I told them that my phone was available all day for them to call. And I called them about an hour after they showed up to work. And I said, hey, how are things going? I just wanted to check in on you. I also wanted you to also know that I mean it when I say I have my phone all day and I'm here to support you. And you know what? They had an amazing first day. And it's we're not asking people, in my mind, I don't, my leadership style is I do not ask people to walk the tightrope unless I have provided a safety net for you underneath. You can fall. I don't mind if you fall. We all learn from falling. But That's right, but I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. You should not hit the ground and splatter and uh, be the end of your life. Like, but I feel like that is the, uh, in my situation, that's the pressure that I had when I left my job is I felt like I was walking on a tightrope, and if I fell, I was done. And Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I mean... Literally, and so what I mean by that specifically is somebody was accounting 
every hour of my time. And they had removed my creativity and removed my purpose. And that was the first time in over a decade that my job became task-oriented instead of purpose-oriented. And you can see, you can see where I am at now because of it. And um, it has, you know, wage um, in, in, and means, insurance, benefits, all of that. I didn't yep. think of that. You know what I thought about? How I feel every time I get in the car and I don't want to go somewhere. Because yeah, of- man. I hear you. It's but- nauseating. It's yeah, nauseating but- just to hear you because I feel it so much. I know everyone else will, too. When you sit in your car and you're like, Yeah. And then you're told that like, oh no, this is great. I don't, why are you quitting? Why are you upset? Don't you love us? And it's like, you know, if you were to look at yourself for a second, would you love you? Right. So, I mean, with, and so, you know, that being said, like, let's talk a little bit more about the stress. I know that's something we touch base on is, um, you know, we covered the poor training and setting up for failure, but I really wanted to touch base on your stress because you mentioned stress and the compound of stress and how how you take that back home with you and how stress at work impacts what you your mentioned. Your whole life. Your personal time, your time with your yep. family. So that is like what is being taken from you on the large scale is the stress that you experience at work from poor communication, based in my opinion, poor communication, gaslighting, seeing hypocrites constantly telling you that this applies to you but not to me, all of that adds frustration. There's poor clarity. And then what do you do? You don't leave that at work. Where do you take it? You take it back home. And then yeah, you take it home with your blood pressure still elevated. Yeah. I mean, when it's physical, it's, it's physical. Yeah. What's your personal experience with this, Angela? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I will tell you one of my, one of the biggest occupational gaslights in the history of my working career. And it happened very recently. So... There's been plenty, plenty. There's a ton of stories to tell, but this one is important because it affects you. Okay. So one of my one of my duties when I worked for the county was it was a voluntary position, unpaid, but it was uh, for labor advocacy. So I would I spent a couple of decades like negotiating contracts across from county council, I got to learn all of the interesting and weird and quite frankly, the appalling functionality of the county, I guess. But this one is interesting. So the last contract negotiation that we had, um, we decided to strike because 
A, we were stronger. Stronger than I've ever seen us. Mm-hmm. B, we had the backing and protection of SEIU, which in theory we always had, but in in real life, they just, you didn't. Mm-hmm. We decided to strike over a contract that county employees are paid less than, than okay, so the administration, to speak to what you, some of the same things that you've been speaking to, the administration is one of the highest paid in the nation, nation. Danny Jordan, the administrator, what makes more than the president. So we have a very highly paid administration, the highest paid commissioners, but the workers of the county lagged and fell behind and lagged and fell behind. And I remember sitting in negotiations and there were master's level educators, master's level mental health therapists talking about how they have to roommate with friends because they can't afford their own place. These are master's level technicians, and the county is not paying them enough to even live on their own. So, fast forward to this most recent contract negotiation, and we decided to strike. We decided to strike, and we went back to the table for one last time, and we told the administration, we said, hey, 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 listen, listen, there's this thing called coronavirus. It's a freaking pandemic. We're really going to need public health. We're really, really, really going to need public health. They are essential workers for our community because this is a pandemic, a global pandemic. We need public health. They're essential. So this contract that we decided to strike over we're asking if you would be willing to put it into arbitration, which means that a third-party judge would decide on the contract, neither them nor us, but a third-party judge. And they declined. They said, no, we're not going to let it go through arbitration. You want to know why? Is because public health employees are not essential. They looked us in the eyes and said that. During a global pandemic, they looked us in the eyes and said, public health isn't essential. Wow. That is, if that's not gaslighting, like, how does that make you so, so, if that's not gaslighting, I don't know what it is. But here's where I want to really, here's where I really want to make a point about outcomes because you have a society of public workers who have been underpaid mm. for far too long and that trickles down into our community the help and the access that our community members get and receive you have you have a sect of public workers who can't afford to live on their own even though they're master level technicians you have a sect of people who were just pulled straight to their face that during a global pandemic that they're not essential workers. And so you know what they decided to do? Is they decided they decided to eat a worse contract. They decided to eat a worse contract 
than the contract they voted to strike over because they were not going to let their community down and that circles right around back to purpose. Yeah. It really does. Purpose is I feel like what we cling on to um, with death is knowing that when we pass we've left a purpose. We there we're gonna be remembered. We're important and it it it's something that we consider ourselves as a huge priority in every situation. And if you're being told that you're not important and that you're not essential, then you know, it's almost saying that what you do doesn't really matter, right? No, it doesn't really matter. And they they made the mistake so many others do, and that is it's counterproductive. You don't want a workforce that isn't happy. You don't want a workforce. So it bleeds into the literal community. It bleeds into the literal community, how the workers are treated, it's mm-hmm. how the community is treated in, in a thousand aspects. You can see it. Yeah. It, it, and it, what you're saying reminds me of, um, of another environment that I, I saw and it was with kids and uh, it was up North and a friend of mine uh, works there and, and he saw that these kids um, first, second grade, um, it's like a charter school, and there there was all this anxiety, and there was all this anxiety, and there was all this anxiety in these kids, and they were trying to kind of figure out, like, what was going on. Well, the business that the lot that they were at was possibly going to be bought out, and so they were going to lose the business. So the owners were applying this pressure um, or this nervous energy to um, their teachers, and then the teachers were applying this nervous energy to their students. So, and what I mean by that is when the teachers came in every day, and the number one thing on their mind was, am I going to have a job tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Then, we re- then what happened is the student didn't perform as well. The environment of the classroom was more, more chaotic, and the the grades dropped. Um, you know, productivity. Dropped. And when the business knew that it was no longer going to be sold, you started to see a change in the teachers and their attitude. And now they're coming to work and they're focused on the students instead of losing their job. So what we apply. Mm-hmm. Our, to our employees is what is like you're saying into the larger scope of the community so the way the employees are being treated by the owner is the way that the clients are being treated by the employees even if it's not intentional and it comes through because it's not where your focus is when you're at work right right and that's Isn't just, it interesting? It is really fascinating. And 
And uh, Angie, I would love to keep you on the the, the phone for another hour. Um, next but, time, next time, next time. Yeah, but I would say there's always a next time. So I'm gonna throw back the microphone. Doorway. Oh, is there anything else that you'd like to touch base on? Um, I know this is a massive topic that could have like a whole year of presentations about you know, how stress is connected to our work environment, which is connected to our value, which is connected to our productivity, and how when you're focusing on solving the problem, it, actually, I'm going to stop real fast. It reminds me of something that I saw, and it was our neighbor who kept trying to put all this stuff on top of his grass, and he was trying to get rid of the weeds. And he was trying, and he put in miracle Grow, and he put in Doctor, you know, and he put in this, and he put in that, and he's just got that brain roundup and everything trying to fix this problem. And finally, two years later, he ended up taking all his lawn out, and he put in um, a fabric barrier and then fresh sod. Never had a problem with it again. And it made me kind of connect to what I was just saying, is when you're focused on solving the problem, without addressing, when you're trying to patch a problem instead of uprooting it and addressing it from exactly. the you can't the just root, yep. spray things on top and expect it to get better. You've got to address it from the source. And that's just that's something right. that I saw directly working with a corporation, what happens when you invest versus what happens when you don't invest. And what I can tell you is, you know, Everybody who I've talked to since I've left says they're miserable. Everybody's looking for jobs. Everybody's looking for another place to go. And so here it is. You have a a new owner that's really focused on numbers, and they're losing all their good employees because they're focused. Exactly. That's bad. So, Angela, I know I I, I stopped you there for a minute. So sign off. Is there anything that you'd like to add into that? I just want to say, I want to ask, just pose the question, why do we want a happy workforce? Is it because a happy workforce is more productive? That's what science says. Is it because there's less conflict? Is a happy workforce? Is a happy workforce? Is a happy workforce going to give your HR department, the kind of trouble that they see now. But most importantly, most importantly, what I really want to say about a happy workforce is it is about the outcome. Yeah. It's about the outcome. So I, I worked for the government. I worked for the county. And so the outcomes mean the, some of the sickest, most vulnerable citizens in our county either are helped or they are not. But it can't be both. Exactly. I uh, very well said, Angie. I um, you can't have one and the other at the same time. And I and I've seen companies who focus on biting the bullet and starting from scratch. And you know it is like a year or so to get that up. But once they get running, they run. Like, like you said, you can't fix a problem and and try to provide. A quick fix. We can't put a band-aid on a gaping wound. 
and that is kind of what we tend to do sometimes. And but instead of admitting that we have a gaping wound, we just keep telling people, "Oh no, it's fine. Just put another band-aid on it." And by the way, no more June Day on Friday. Yeah, <laughs> Angie, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and for everybody out there who's listening. Um, Thanks for tuning in to our conversation, um, opinion-based, of course, and uh, just wanted to throw it out there that everybody that I've spoke to recently is stressed with work, and I'm sure that we all have something to relate to. Angie, thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it, all our listeners, and thank you for your ears and your time. Have a great day. Amen. We'll see you next week. Bye, Angie.